You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Please do take your seats, whether you're here or at home. Thank you so much, worship team, leading us with so much passion today. Amazing. Well, I hope uh, you have been able to enjoy, as I have this week, uh, some spring sunshine. It has been so good, hasn't it, to see the sun, to see blossom on the trees, this visual, visual, visible and tangible sign that winter doesn't last forever. Spring always follows winter. There is so much to be hopeful about. And indeed, although it may have cost us an hour's sleep, it is now officially, my diary tells me, British summertime. This is good news. Now, I would love to briefly update you about something that we mentioned last autumn in the run-up to Vision Sunday, and that is the Jubilee Fund. And the plan for this was that it would be something of an overflow of the grace of God. As he has helped us with a journey here as a church out from a place of debt that was 10 years ago a 1.8 million pound mortgage that was finally paid off last November. The outworking of journeys of faith of many different members of CLM, ourselves included. The idea was that this Jubilee Fund would work in conjunction with CAP, that's Christians Against Poverty, so that those who'd been consistently engaging with a debt management plan and completed at least half of its term, and those terms normally last for many years, that they would be able to apply to the Jubilee Fund and have their remaining debts paid off. And uh, we've been working behind the scenes to develop a framework for this, liaising with CAP and with Hope Coventry, who the fund is sitting with and being administrated by. And about 10 days ago, the fund finally went live. We were able to transfer some money uh, from what has been redeemed from vision pledges so far into the fund. And last week, the fund received its first application. And uh, it was communicated to me that the applicants were so excited when they heard about the fund and that they were eligible to apply. And it is such a joy to be part of helping lift debt off people who are doing everything they can to rectify their financial situation. This is an expression of setting the captives free. This is an expression of the bound going free as we've just sung and declared. And we trust this is gonna bless many, many lives over the coming months and years. And we wanted you to know that this has finally uh, gone live as an overflow of your faith and your generosity. And this is part of what we're being able to do here in the city. And simply to add, uh, if you are struggling with debt in this season, then we'd strongly encourage you to contact CAP, that's C-A-P. You can find them at uh, capuk.org and there is a way out from where you are. Brilliant. Well, I have so enjoyed this preaching series this last few weeks. I mean, Luke, Tracy, Jonathan, preaching on the subject of this Jesus. Uh, they have done such a phenomenal job focusing on Jesus. The truth is, there is no better subject for preaching than this Jesus. As we have been hearing, this Jesus who is humble, who is gentle, who is holy, who's mighty, who, who was tempted yet sinless, who's the savior who goes beyond borders, this Jesus who is fully God and yet fully man, this Jesus who it tells us in the word was anointed with the oil of joy and yet was 
the man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering on our behalf. This Jesus, he's the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one who holds the keys of death and hell. This Jesus, he is Redeemer. He is the resurrection. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah and he is the Lamb who was slain. He is majestic and he is glorious. He is meek and he is humble. This Jesus, he is my maker. He is my king, he is my savior, and perhaps most astonishingly of all, he is my friend, this Jesus. The truth is there is nothing, and there is no one that I would rather speak to you about this morning than this Jesus. And boys and girls, if you are at home, I wonder if you could draw a picture of this Jesus, however you imagine him to be from what you have heard of him. And together today, we are gonna consider this Jesus faithful. This Jesus faithful. And we're gonna look at how Jesus engaged with Simon Peter, one of his disciples. In those last days leading up to his crucifixion, the days and their events that we'll be remembering at the end of this coming week. And I wonder if you have got a Bible or a device, why not turn with me to Matthew 26. We're gonna hop a little between the Gospels today as they all give us some insight into this, but we're gonna begin in Matthew just after the Last Supper. So this is Matthew 26, reading from verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I'm just gonna hop to Luke 22 and hear how Luke reports it. He says that Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Hop back, Matthew 26, picking up again at verse 36. This is what happens next. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And of course, we know how the story goes. Jesus ends up being arrested, taken to the Sanhedrin where the Jewish rulers were. And we're gonna pick up the account as he is outside the Sanhedrin in the courtyard. This is verse 69 of Matthew 26. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. 
Immediately a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So here in this account, we have Simon Peter. He's one of Jesus's big three, part of his inner circle. And here, as Jesus is just turning right in towards the cross, he predicts that Peter is going to disown him three times. He's going to deny even knowing him. And when he says it, Simon Peter won't have it. He just doesn't believe that that is possible. He says, I'm ready to go to prison and to die with you. Famous last words. He didn't know what was about to unfold or actually how he himself would respond. But as we've just read in that account, it all plays out just exactly as Jesus foresaw. Three times Simon Peter denying knowing Jesus. And after the third time the cockerel crows and Peter remembers Jesus' words to him just hours before. Luke's gospel actually tells us that Jesus turned and looked Peter straight in the eye. And then he went out and wept bitterly. The truth was that Peter was gutted. He was devastated by his own words, his own actions. I wonder if perhaps the empty promises of the previous night, the things that he'd said, the things he'd vowed to do, echoing round, taunting him. The difference between how he thought he would respond and how he'd actually behaved, it was a huge chasm. And he wept bitterly. You know, sometimes the worst disappointment is disappointment in yourself. Now, as I understand it in the tradition of Jewish rabbis with their followers, those whom a rabbi had called and chosen, taught and invested in, as Jesus had done with Simon Peter, those who followed, if they were to turn away, if they were to turn back, if they were to deny that rabbi, to disown him, then their place with the rabbi was gone. It was finished, it was over, they were no longer a disciple. There were no second chances in this game. Interestingly, if you read in Mark's account of the resurrection at the tomb on the first day, Mary, Mary and Salome, they're there and they encounter an angel and the angel says to them, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Oh, go and tell the disciples and Peter. He's out. Now, he still wants him to know, but he's not numbered among the disciples. But when we look at Jesus through the lens of this account, when we look deeper at how Jesus responds, we're going to see that Jesus is faithful. To be faithful is to be steady in allegiance or affection, to be loyal or constant. And Jesus' behavior towards Simon Peter is faithful. Whilst Peter's words are not disregarded or ignored, Jesus shows a kind of relentless belief, a faithfulness in him that will not let him go. A relentless belief, I think, will encourage every one of us this morning, remind us that Jesus is faithful. And to break this down, there are three ways that I see Jesus is faithful. And the first is this, that Jesus is faithful to choose Peter. You know, Jesus predicts that Peter will disown him, deny him, and pretty much straight afterwards they head out to Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And he speaks to his disciples and he basically says, you wait here, I'm going to pray over there. And he takes three people with him. And the three that he takes are the usual three. 
the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and Peter. And the gospel tells us that Jesus began to be sorrow and troubled. We get these words, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, keep watch with me. This is probably, with the exception of the cross itself, the most anguished we ever see Jesus in his earthly life, the most vulnerable. He knows what's coming and the magnitude and the proximity of it is overwhelming him. He knows that all his disciples are gonna abandon him. He knows that Peter's gonna deny him. And still, this Jesus chooses Simon Peter to be there in the critical moment in the garden. He chooses him to be close. He chooses him to be part of it. He chooses him to have a part to play in that moment. Jesus is faithful to choose him. He doesn't treat him with suspicion or mistrust, but he chooses him. He relentlessly believes in him. He's faithful to him, this Jesus. He is faithful. Perhaps Peter that assumed that Jesus had been wrong in the things that he said and that maybe his assertion that he would go to prison or death with Jesus, that that was what qualified him to be there in that moment of great intimacy and great sorrow in Gethsemane. But Jesus knew the truth of what was gonna happen. He knew the truth of how Simon Peter was gonna behave and he chose him anyway. He is faithful, even when he knew Peter would fail. And Jesus is consistent. He does not change. So as he was with Peter, he will also be with you. He knows where you and I are gonna fail. He knows where we struggle. He knows where we don't live up to our words. And he chooses us anyway. He invites us close anyway. He gives us a part to play anyway. He doesn't write us off. He is faithful. So can I encourage you, if you're concerned that maybe you're not gonna hit the mark or you haven't hit the mark, don't shrink back. Don't think there isn't a place for you because really the first encouragement of this scripture to us today is that this Jesus is faithful to choose you. This Jesus is faithful to choose you even when he knows sometimes you're gonna fail. He's faithful to choose you. The second way that I see Jesus' faithfulness is this. Jesus is faithful to pray for Peter when Satan comes against him. As those verses in Luke Read, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, it is true that Peter didn't have his best day, but his faith didn't completely fail. I mean, I wonder what would have happened if Jesus hadn't prayed for him. Perhaps he might have had no further place in the work of Jesus or the church or the kingdom of God. Maybe uh, the beggar in Act 3 who got healed wouldn't have been healed. Maybe he'd have stayed on his mat. Maybe in Acts 10, when we read of Peter going to Cornelius and the Holy Spirit being poured out on those outside of the Jewish faith, maybe that would never have happened if Jesus hadn't prayed for Peter so that he stood and his faith did not fail. Perhaps Peter would never have been instrumental in building the church, except this Jesus is faithful. And he was faithful to pray for Peter when Satan came against him and tried to pick him off. And I don't know if you know, but Jesus prays for you too. 
Jesus praised you. Hebrews 7, 25, it says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them to intercede, to stand in the gap, to pray. He's always living to intercede and to pray for you. And the second encouragement for us today is that this Jesus, he is faithful to pray for you when Satan comes against you. He is faithful to pray for you when Satan comes against you. Have you ever considered when you're in the middle of a struggle or a wrestle to do what is right or when you're tempted to do something that you know isn't the best, Have you considered in that moment that Jesus is already praying for you? He's already praying for you. You know, sometimes in those moments, we might be embarrassed or ashamed at the wrestles that we may have internally or externally, and it can make us wanna hide in those moments rather than call out to God and make ourselves seemingly more visible. One of the most powerful and impactful realizations for me has been that in that moment when I might be battling to make a right choice about what to do, or more often about what to think. When I find myself entertaining thoughts that are not in line with how I've chosen to live for Jesus, that actually I can call to him right in the middle of that wrestle without shame as to his response, because he already knows my struggle and was already praying for me. He already knew. He knows everything. He was waiting for my invitation to see if I would call for help. And what this has meant in me is that I end up turning to him quicker and quicker because the shame is lifted off me. And the things that might hold me have less and less power because I know that Jesus already knows and that he's faithful to pray for me. You know, in those moments when we begin to cry out to Jesus, the power is quickly broken. And this Jesus, he is faithful to pray for you when Satan comes against you. So in those moments of wrestle, Run to him, cry out to him, and know that this Jesus is faithful to pray for you. Jesus was faithful to choose Peter, faithful to pray for Peter, but Jesus was also faithful to restore him. It's great to see a word from Catchy earlier in the chat about the the word of the Lord to restore. And this takes us a little bit beyond the verses that we've read this morning, but we read of an encounter later in the story in John 21 where Jesus sits around a coal fire with Peter. Probably the first time since they had been by the coal fire in the courtyard that early morning before Jesus' crucifixion. A recreating of the setting to revisit Peter's denial. It's not clear from the passage whether others were in earshot, who was there, but the conversation is definitely just between the two of us. And it went like this from Jesus, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus did not simply bury what Peter had done or said. 
And even though in knowing all things, he knew that Peter actually loved him, despite what had happened. But he knew that for Peter to move on from it and to be restored, it would need to be revisited in some way. And so he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And three times Peter answered him that he did. And for each denial, there was an opportunity to reaffirm his love and his commitment to Jesus. And with each reply, an affirmation came back from Jesus of the calling on his life that had been spoken before he denied him. He says, feed my sheep, look after my people. Peter knew that his failure had been acknowledged, dealt with, discussed, corrected, and that his relationship, his discipleship, and his call were restored from that moment. The third encouragement today is that this Jesus is faithful to restore you when you fall. This Jesus, he is faithful to restore you when you fall. We may mess up. All of us do sometimes in some way, but it doesn't mean that it is game over. And if we will allow Jesus to revisit it with us, to acknowledge it with him, to repent if necessary, to make a different confession to the one that we made, then what has been can be put to bed and we can be restored in our relationship, in our discipleship, in our call. I know for all of us, the last 12 months has been so challenging. And I'm sure for some of, it, some of us, it has been hard to make good choices consistently. For some, maybe you've been surprised at how you've responded. It isn't how you thought you would have been. You may even have been disappointed with yourself at times. And you may be wondering, how can I move forward from here? How do I get back on track? I've lost my way, I've said things, I've done things, but you're wondering if there is actually a way back. Well, I bring us this word this morning to tell you that there is our way back because this Jesus is faithful. He has relentless belief in you. He is faithful to choose you. He's faithful to pray for you. He's faithful to restore you when you fall. So don't shrink back. Don't think it's over. The things that you dreamed of, the things that were a call in your heart, the things you thought the Lord wanted you to do and the part he wanted you to play in his church and bring in his kingdom. Don't walk out on it because it's not gone away. Run to him, cry out to him. If you're wrestling and struggling, he knows and he's praying for you. Cry out to him. Allow him to revisit with you anything that he needs to because he's faithful and he loves you and he has a purpose for you and he wants to restore you. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the church in Thessalonica, he signs off with these words. He says, may God himself sanctify you. That means make you holy through and through. He says, may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds like a lot to ask, doesn't it? But then he says these words, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Friends, the God who has begun a good work in you is not finished yet, he's not done yet, and he wants to complete it. And he is able to complete it. 
he will do it. This Jesus is faithful. I invite you now as I finish, both here in the room and at home. Why not stand? Let's stand together and let's pray in response to this great faithfulness of God. Wherever you find yourself, however that might impact you this morning, let's come to him, this faithful one. Jesus, we worship you. And we thank you that you are faithful, that you relentlessly believe in us. Thank you. And thank you, it's because you know what your power at work in us can do. Thank you for your grace and your patience with us. Thank you that you went to the cross so that all our sin, all our shame, all our faults and failures are covered. Thank you, Jesus, you are faithful. And I pray right now, Father, for any in the room, for any at home, wherever they tune in. I pray for any who've drifted or wandered, any who've been disappointed in themselves in these last few months, and invite you to minister into their hearts, Lord. Maybe if they've begun to count themselves out, that they would sense you ministering and drawing them back in to yourself. I pray you'd minister your love to them, that you are for them, that you relentlessly believe in them, that you're faithful. Just invite your Holy Spirit that you draw each one of us closer to yourself. For those who need it, Lord, restore, bring a work of loving grace to bring restoration. That there would be a confidence, Lord, in your faithfulness. It's not in what we do, it's not in how we perform, but it's in your faithfulness and your power to do it in us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you would begin a restoring work in all your sons and your daughters. We mandate them. Stir up the purpose you have put in them and draw them close to yourself, I pray, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.